0: Did you see that in Nashville, the NFL draft is now ruining bachelorette
1: parties? Some younger ladies are really disappointed in this whole NFL draft weekend. This USA Today article characterizes them as very mad because
0: the NFL draft has been basically taking over Nashville and ruining their bachelorette party planning.
1: You're going to tell me that as far out as they've planned these bachelorette parties, that nothing popped up that that was going on this weekend?
0: According to one bridesmaid, she said, I'll tell you who's going to pay for this, my husband. No football next year, no Super Bowl, because my friend only
1: gets married once and the draft happens every year. I don't know how this is all of a sudden someone else's fault. I can't even have this conversation. All right, welcome to episode number 117 of Touchpoint. On the other side of the microphone is the aforementioned Chris Boyer, and I am Reed Smith. How's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Hello
0: to you. Episode 117, I think that's an, uh, is that a prime number? I don't know. What does that mean? Prime number? I feel like I should know that. It's like a number that
1: only can be divided by itself or one? No, it can be divided by Three. Oh, I stand corrected. Three would go in there. What is that, like 30? Let's see, what is that? Nine, two, three, 30, 39 times. No one told me there was going to be math today. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, speaking of math, we're going to talk about the customer journey, which maybe not math, but maybe speaking of numbers, uh, was covered way, way back in episode one. Like way back. (laughs) Yeah, and then again in episode 72. So funny enough, people still listen to episode one. We see it in our analytics every month. So I'm not sure why. I would encourage you to listen to newer episodes. But uh, in any case, (laughs) uh, we appreciate the support. Speaking of support, though, before we go too much further, let's take a brief pause and hear from one of our sponsors. And we'll be right back.
2: Using powerful AI-driven algorithms loyal's guide helps patients along every step of their journey from choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial whether you are using guides chatbot live chat or the powerful combination of both loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system maximizes efficiency and improves patients digital experience to learn more or schedule a demo visit them online at loyalhealth.com Dot com forward slash demo. that is loyalhealth.com forward/demo.
0: We've talked about customer journeys before, but this time we're going to talk about them in a, in a different way because quite frankly, whenever I hear that the topic of co- customer journey mapping or building a customer journey come up, a lot of times the journeys themselves are presented in more of a linear straightforward manner.
1: And it's probably the easiest way to explain it or lay it out or talk about it, right? You want to put people into whether it's categories or steps or categorical steps. Or, is that a thing? You want to see them make these incremental progressions towards buying your widget or, or whatever it is, right? I mean, because that that's just the, the most logical way to think about or talk about it. Let me go
0: through them, and you could probably visualize going through these you know, step-by-step-by-step by step by step at certain points. So first it begins with awareness where you you learn about the product or that offering or whatever it is. It's like the first time you became aware of what it is. Then there's engagement where maybe you come to the website and then they start to share emails with you, et cetera. And then it goes to evaluation where you're like, oh, well, maybe I should purchase this said widget. Um, so you start to evaluate it. Is this one good? Is this one not? The next phase is selection where you actually buy it, you select it. And then experience and loyalty follow after that. It it makes kind of sense if you're thinking about like the very first time
1: you as a customer are buying something. It does. But in all reality, all customers are not the same or our, our population that we're going after is not the same. And we'll kind of get to that. But you're not necessarily going to go in those steps. Or what's to say that it doesn't start over or you know, you start with awareness. What? What if it's like awareness, awareness, awareness? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't. You don't just automatically go to the next step in some cases, right? I would say after the third awareness, it's probably not awareness. True, that's true. <laughs> but you know, in some cases, you know, you talk about awareness, uh, then engagement, then evaluation. You may just go awareness to evaluation. Or awareness to selection, right? I mean, there's been sometimes where you're like, oh, because
0: the price point's low or, or whatever, the, the cost of entry is, is so low that you're like, hey, yeah, I'll do that. That's kind of like an impulse buy.
1: So let's back up just a little bit and, and talk about the consumer it, itself. You know, in, in our cases, in in healthcare at least, uh, or even on the provider side or, or more specifically the hospital side, our customers, like we don't have like a customer. And I don't mean like male, female or mom versus dad or you know that type of thing. I mean, you know, certainly those are, are types of customers all, but they all reside within kind of this patient or potential patient category. But we also have physicians uh, and other like clinicians or affiliated organizations that include some of those types of folks like EMS, for example, uh, that could fall in there. You have employees, so the whole internal communication piece and and just the internal advocacy piece of the equation, other employers, and you know even the media to some degree, I guess, with you know kind of earned media pitches and some things like that that you're doing. So we have different people we're trying to serve or cater to or attract or bring awareness to and, and things like that.
0: You know, depending on that type of customer, they can follow a different journey, so to speak. And, you know, and and they make, they make different decisions at different stages. And some stages are more important. But also within those kind of customer types, there's different segments. For example, you mentioned it earlier, patients. And, you know, the, the patient population could refer to existing patients, or potential patients, or even like family members of those patients. And all of those different segments within that type have different ways they interact with the journey.
1: Even that same person, depending on where they are on the journey, even. So, I mean, you've got the existing patient versus potential patient or the caregiver, i.e. the family member. But what about the current patient that's just been discharged or versus in the facility or coming in tomorrow? You you know what I mean? Like there's, depending on where you are on your physical journey through the system, you know, is it going to biased or change the way that uh, you interact. And
0: Reed, you and I have talked about this before. One other thing that I think kind of differentiates that customer is the, the propensity level of the care that they're getting. We talked about, you know, people that are for like top of the funnel stuff, like urgent care, even episodic care versus people that are maybe suffering with, you know, some kind of chronic condition. They're involved in oncology services or, you know, or whatever it may be. They may interact with those journeys in different ways, too.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, if it's an episodic piece, I mean, a lot of that's around convenience, the ability to provide the care, obviously. But when you start getting into the complex stuff or the higher acuity or chronic pieces, then obviously that engagement section of the of the journey is probably a lot different, as well as the evaluation piece relative to something on more on the episodic side. Those are some of the characteristics that you
0: know show how. The customers may be acting differently along those different segments of the journey or the journey itself, but there's some other factors that can lead to this too. Like within an organization, I found that depending on who's the actual person building that customer journey, the intent of the journey is a little bit different. What's a good example of that? So, for example, in marketing, a lot of times we map customer journeys as more of a path to purchase. We uh, determine, like, how do they become aware, stay engaged, and eventually make a purchase, make a selection from you. And so our customer journey is very much focused on that path to purchase.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about growth acquisition type behaviors. Yep. Operationally though, to
0: them, their customer journey may be, well, let's say for example, if you're in patient experience, what you're looking to do is you're mapping the experience that that patient has with your hospital or your organization. And so your customer journey is focusing on a segment. And how does that segment reflect back to those departmental needs? In this case, patient
1: experience. So it's a different type of journey map, so to speak. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of people are more concerned with the discharge process and the person not coming back or 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 even just the experience within a very particular finite portion of the system. Or maybe it's the employees that they're concerned with. And it's, it's just about new grad nurses and making sure that that turnover rate stays down and that they stay connected and part of the organization or something like that. So, yes, they've got a very different viewpoint in a a different customer, so to speak, than uh, probably we, we spend a lot of time on in marketing. What are some of the other things that maybe influence how customers interact with the journey? Well, I mean, I think advertising does that's, you know, obviously on the awareness end of this, of the spectrum. Um, But I would say uh, kind of word of mouth, obviously, you start talking about loyalty that's on the tail end. You know, I, I can still remember uh, being at a small hospital uh, as the director of marketing here in Texas and hearing from people in the local community that they would never come to the organization. And it was like, oh, my gosh, why? What, what happened? And they're like, oh, you know, this terrible experience, you know, with you know some surgical procedure, let's say, or whatever it was, or their dad died there or something. Right. Oh, gosh, when was that? Oh, let's see. That must have been, was that 82 or 83? You know, there's this legacy experience that they really weren't even a part of. It's just kind of like a hand-me-down experience that still weighs on their decision on how they engage and interact and and certainly the evaluation and, and ultimate selection.
0: And that just reinforces the fact that the customer really doesn't act in a way that that a lot of times we actually think they do. There may be other influences that kind of influence that, uh, influence their journey. Like, for example, a rumor about the hospital or something about the hospital from 10 years ago, as you were describing. I think that those things are are definitely um, ways that can influence how people are engaging with that customer journey. And really what it boils down to is that not all touch points within the organization are really measured the same way and sometimes
1: may not even be correlated as being connected. Yeah, I mean, certainly the touch points, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> are, are, are not measured. We said our podcast name. <laughs> Is that like a thing that people keep? Anyway. Yeah, are, are certainly not measured the same. The touch point of them actually... Having a procedure done at the organization, obviously, is measured with some sort of financial metric, maybe volume, census, whatever, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, but even offline versus online and, and some of those categories, obviously, you know, are not going to be measured the same. And people's just, you know, what they're trying to measure, maybe maybe even not defined or defined differently between organizations, departments, parts of the organization, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, that becomes really a bit of a challenge when you're trying to actually determine if your customer journey map, that hypothesis you made is actually working. And suddenly you realize there's this whole other thing that might be influencing the journey that's not in your department and you're not measuring it. So you don't know what impact it has. As we look at starting to put together or or starting to understand customers and how they're interacting with the customer journey, I think it's safe to say that, Mapping a customer journey is sometimes a little bit challenging to do. Have you ever done one?
1: Yes, I have. And uh, it it is challenging depending on the complexity of the organization, obviously, and whose specific journey you're trying to map. Sometimes that's the hardest part of the entire equation is trying to get people to agree on who is it that we're actually talking about? Like, who are we mapping?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we take a quick pause for one of our sponsors, and then when we come back, let's you and I get into a little bit about how you can start to build an effective customer journey map.
3: Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency, and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touch point, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touch points that matter.
1: All right. So now uh, let's jump in and talk a little bit about the actual creation of a journey map or what that kind of what that may look like. Maybe let's start first with a definition from our friends over at HubSpot. And again, we'll kind of link to this article, but they outline uh, what customer journey mapping is. And they say a customer journey map is a visual representation of the process a customer or prospect goes through to achieve a goal with your company. And I think that's interesting, achieve a goal. With the help of a, of a customer journey map, you can get the sense of a customer's motivations, their needs, and pain points. It's tremendously valuable when you start to understand
0: the customer journey and, and because it really drills into their needs, their pain points, and how you can actually make that customer journey work for them. So in this HubSpot article, they actually have a couple of things that they're going to recommend about how you could start to build a customer journey. But what I'm doing, Reid, is I'm doing something uh, that's a technical term. It's called schmushing. I'm schmushing together <laughs> some of what HubSpot's saying as well as another article I found that talks about the essential components of journey mapping. This is like sort of more of that robust list that you need. So you want to go through the steps of how to start to put together your customer journey map? Yeah, let's do it. What's the first step? Well, first step is probably intuitive, but important to state. Put the customer first. Hmm. That would
1: make sense. You should build it from their point of view, right? Yeah, a lot of times we... You know, try to do that. We don't do a great job with it. I'm thinking about websites specifically. You know, you always have the deal where it's like, hey, the website, new site's perfect. Looks amazing. And then <laughs> and then you launch and it's like, all right, it's noon on day one and we've had uh, 116 requests come through the website. Nobody can figure out where to pay their bill. And uh, you're like, it seems pretty intuitive to me. I mean, it's just right here under the thing with the thing. You know, you know you're you're putting your own bias, I guess, ahead of what... Uh, whether that's a bias around what what you might consider good design or something. But anyway, you're putting it ahead of what the customer needs or expects. That's why it's really important
0: that if you start to go down this path for maybe the first time in your organization, I would recommend maybe reaching out to a UX professional to maybe help you start to put together, at least begin down that path of putting the customer first and making sure that you're speaking to that real customer and what their Mm -hmm. needs might be. So, Reid, what's the second step? to
1: set clear objectives for the map. So I think this is interesting. You know, I I made a point when I read the definition a minute ago that they talked about that it's uh, a process that someone may go through to achieve a goal with your company. Because, you know, these are not all the same, right? So you could have a journey map around something very, very specific that is not... Uh, involved with, I don't know scheduling an appointment, let's say, or something like that that's more of a revenue generating scenario. So again, set clear objectives for what what the map is meant to uh, meant to do. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then the third
0: step in that is to profile your personas and then define their goals. And a lot of that is through you know a little bit of research. A lot of times when you start to think about who your personas are, you, you might have data that supports that. You might have to do some research, but you definitely want to understand that maybe there's various segments of the customer journey that you need to address with this customer journey map, and then make sure you really get a good sense of what they want, what their goals are. And a lot of times it could be by their intent, by understanding um, you know what they're wanting to do, or it could be by actually asking them explicitly what you would like them to do.
1: Fourth on the list is to uh, list out all the touch points. And so to be sure to capture not just the actions, but also their perceptions as well along the way. So, you know, this is one of those things we told when we were talking about measurement uh, some episodes ago, we talked about listing out everything you could measure, not that you're going to measure them, but that you could measure. Well, this is kind of the same thing. So, list out every potential touch point that they may have so you can then get a good feel for how they may make their way through the, the, the journey.
0: The next one is to really identify the elements you want your map to show. And uh, it's interesting, The HubSpot article indicates there are really four types of customer journey maps that each have their own benefits. And I thought it might be interesting to kind of define these. The first one is, is what they call current state. This is probably one of the most widely used kind of uh, journey maps where you actually try to map out your existing state and visualize what your customers experience with the current interaction with your organization. Have you done one of those before, Reed?
1: Yeah, that, that does sound like probably what most people would define a, a journey map to be or look like. The second one is called Day in the Life. It maps
0: the actions, thoughts, emotions that they experience in all activities they may uh, engage with you on a daily basis. So I've seen a lot of this kind of day-in-the-life journey mapping done. When you're looking at like ER redesigns or you're looking Mm -hmm. at maybe waiting room redesigns, they do a lot of observation where they sit and they actually observe the customers interacting in the physical space. And I guess if you're doing a digital day in the life mapping, then I would assume that you're trying to map a particular individual over the full course of their day online.
1: That's kind of fascinating. I hadn't really thought about it in that way from a digital standpoint. I mean, certainly day in the life, you mentioned the ER, you know, kind of that patient experience type feel. It's like, okay, well, they come into this room and then they go here and then they go here. Then they have to sit over here and wait for this, you know, one of those things. I, I think it's interesting. But is it, from a digital standpoint, that is that is something kind of unique, you know, to try to f- kind of think through, you know, how that might look. Whether it's they're doing research and then they're looking here and then they're looking over, you know, you know what I mean?
0: The third type of journey map read is a future state where you actually, you, okay, so you know what their current state is. You want to fix it. You put together a plan for what that future state customer map may be and a lot of times that's like those those future state maps turn into prototypes they may even test it or try it out with some people before they actually implement it in real life
1: that's cool you can kind of beta test stuff and i think there are organizations doing this uh you know I think about like the sibley uh is it the sibley lab is that what they call it at hopkins some folks like that they're looking and, and trying not just you know the map itself but kind of the execution of it uh, is is kind of a beta the last of the four types of of journey maps is called a
0: service blueprint these are journey maps that begin with a simplified version of one of the above, and then they layer in all the factors that are responsible for delivering that experience. And that includes like the people, the policies, the technologies, all the processes. It's more like you take a journey map and then you actually operationalize it and how it's going to work and what you're going to do on the back end at every step along the way.
1: And I think we do see a little bit of that, uh, right? I mean, we probably couch it as patient experience uh, to some degree, but I do see that, I, I guess, as being something that's been done or maybe around the Baldur's process, kind of falls in that quality department feel uh, a little bit. So, those are
0: your four general types of. Uh- journey maps that you could do. So it's important, like if you start to go down that path, maybe you could just choose one and say, look, this is what we're trying to accomplish. It aligns to your goals. What is one of the uh, next steps that they recommend, Read. Well, after
1: that, visualize it. So actually, uh, you know, what does that look like? And I guess to some degree, you know, this this is a visual representation of what it is that someone would be doing or, or the process in which they take. That's kind of the fun part, right? Uh, that is the fun part. I tell
0: you, I like to visualize that laying it out, drawing it out in a map. And it's a great way to actually kind of socialize within your organization too. Like, this is what we're going to be going for. And this is what our our goal is with this journey map. So everyone can be on the same page and at any given point in time, they can go to this graph or whatever the layout may be and say, oh, this is what's happening. It allows also for you to kind of go to the root cause to, if there's a a problem with the journey map, you can maybe even do some root cause analysis. The next thing to do is actually try it out, try out the customer journey. And they say, take the customer journey yourself. The most important part of the process is really look at the results, track everything that you're doing and see if that journey that you put together is actually working.
1: Yeah, if it actually is even the journey. (laughs) I think you do a little bit of that up front because that's what's going to help you kind of outline those actual touch points. I wonder what the the count on how many times we've said touch point so far this episode. If anybody wants to tweet that to us, I'd be curious. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, but, but I think that does kind of help you line that out up front. Right. And then I think once you've put together what you think is a bulletproof journey or plan, you know, then taking it yourself. And then ultimately you're obviously going to want to go back, tweak, change, you know, and then it's kind of becomes a rinse and repeat, right. And go back and take it again, optimize, you know, that kind of thing.
0: That really takes your hypothesis, puts it out in the wild tests it and allows you to optimize, let's see how to fix it. And eventually that then becomes like sort of the standard journey that is until those customers who keeps changing their mind might start doing the journey differently. And that's why doing customer journey mapping is something that, you know, if you, if you're going back to the top of the show, it's far from linear. What it is, it's a constant iterative process.
1: Yeah, I think you run into danger when, when you think that you're going to be done with this. You know, this much like patient experience, you know, actually kind of feels a lot like patient experience, quite honestly, or a piece of it. It's not something you really ever complete, right? You continue to work on, optimize, try, test, you know, because you, your goal is is what? It's, it's to make sure that those consumers have a positive experience, you know, whatever that is. And again, back to what we've talked about first, it depends on the customer Depends on what the outcome, you know, some of that kind of stuff.
0: Well, let's hear now, um, I'm, we're going to maybe turn this over to one of the experts that um, we're going to be interviewing in just a second here, to Tom Heilman of the Heilman Group. He was looking at the customer journey in a different way. and He created what was called the healthcare flywheel. He presented this last year at Shishmid with, with our good friend, Matt Gov. They talked about uh, the customer journey. Nice. And so let's hear a little bit about what he has to say.
2: Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about binary health analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com.
0: All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of our podcast today. And I am talking today with a gentleman that I recently got to know, but it feels like we are kindred spirits a lot in the way we think about how patient journeys are and how we can market on the patient journey. And that is my, I guess I'll call you my friend now, Tom Heilman. Tom, welcome to the show.
3: Chris, thank you very much. And I also consider you my fast friend.
0: You and I got to know each other. We've been talking for a couple of weeks now, but a lot of people listening in may not know about you and your background. Do you want to give them a brief overview?
3: Sure, Chris. Happy to. So my background's a little bit different. Um, I I own a marketing agency, Heilman Group, and we work in the healthcare space, but my background actually started out in physics and mathematics. So if a physicist designed a marketing agency, Heilman Group is what you would get. We're a little different uh, in terms of being very data-oriented and technology process-driven, as well as bringing in the creative and the messaging we work with clients across the healthcare spectrum, payers, providers, device makers, kind of you make it in that space. Uh, But when we're talking about the patient journey as we are today, we're typically speaking about the provider side. So over the last 10 years, we've been fortunate to partner with some great providers such as Cleveland Clinic, Baylor, Scott & White, Mercy Health, and Vanderbilt. We also work with some smaller providers as well and see great results in that space.
0: I also have a background in mathematics, so a little small world there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the patient journey today. Is uh, today we are talking? We've been talking. Reed and I have been talking about the patient journey. You and I, when when we first started talking, you shared with me uh, this concept that you and the Heilman Group has around the patient journey and how hospitals and health systems can look at it. Do you want to start sharing that with us?
3: We've kind of developed a model called we call it the healthcare flywheel. So it's a model can continuous patient engagement, and we borrow the flywheel concept from uh, uh, Bezos over at Amazon. So we thought that would be – he's been pretty successful. So we thought looking at some of the way that they approach business might uh, also apply to the patient journey. And so we've developed this over time. And there's there's a few trends, Chris, I think, that have driven us towards this. The first is really the the change in healthcare from volume to value, right? So that's really impacted the industry and the way it's going. And we're also kind of evolving from kind of what we call episodic sick care to ongoing well care. So the idea is that health systems need to keep people well as opposed to just kind of quote fixing them when they're sick. We've also seen that, and I think that we, we talked about this a little bit previously, uh, the consumerism, consumer behaviors in healthcare, specifically where patients have a choice. Uh, a lot of times that's the lower acuity or specific places that they enter the healthcare system. So those things have all impacted our need uh, and the way to change the way that we engage with these patients. So we've had it evolve. And a little bit of that is traditionally healthcare systems have messaged primarily on things like quality, on local, on uh, volume statistics and amounts of uh, breadth and scale that they have and their, their rankings overall. But we really need to change that. Those things are still important, but we need to really uh, engage continuously with these patients for what they care about. And that's where we kind of evolved the healthcare flywheel from.
0: The healthcare flywheel, and let's talk, we'll talk through like each segment of it, because I think a lot of us listening in, we have an understanding roughly about what a, a patient journey is. But in many times, it's a very linear path. And the flywheel kind of builds this concept that it actually is cyclical, right? It kind of works around that patient at, at all the stages of their of their journey. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. I mean, as, as marketers, Often, Chris, we look at we think about things in funnels, right? And funnels, different stages of awareness and uh, engagement, to acquisition along that. Those metrics are important, but I think it's a little short-sighted that when we think about patients and, and kind of the care that we're providing to them, this is a very different product than most of what marketing is, right? So this is high risk for the patient. Uh, it's highly personal, of course, or if they're in a the caregiver role for their loved one. As opposed to thinking about the world in funnels, we tend to think about in a flywheel where we're continuously engaging them kind of along the multiple touch points that they're interacting with the provider along.
0: Let's dive into these phases and maybe cover them in a very high level here. And, of course, we're going to link to a document that people can download this from your organization. But let's, let's touch first on, on the different phases here. What's the first one?
3: And they're actually not really in any specific order. We'll start with what I think people most think about as acquisition. Acquisition typically focuses on what what it sounds like, kind of influencing prospective patients during their research phase. So when they're out on the internet searching for that, looking for potential care, whether it's a disease or a condition or a procedure, this is kind of when choice is highest. It's helping to influence them and gain understanding about what might be right for them from a treatment perspective or from an education perspective, as well as what might be the right provider for them. And finally, as we kind of educate and nurture along that path, we're driving them to hopefully ultimately the request of appointment, whether it's through an 800 number or through an online scheduling system, if your EMR provides, or requesting a consultation if they want to interact with a nurse or or a physician to uh, engage, if it's say perhaps more of a specialty. So acquisition is kind of the first phase, but they're all interrelated as we kind of spin around the wheel.
0: So after they get to that point where they're requesting an appointment and they're ready, you know, they're on their path, maybe, or, or, you know, the variety of different ways that they can actually start to engage with us, then that moves us into the next segment, so to speak, or next piece of the flywheel.
3: Absolutely. So once someone's indicated interest or they've uh, scheduled online or scheduled through the phone, whatever they may choose, the next step is what we call activation. So what's kind of unique in Healthcare is perhaps the time between when someone is acquired or schedules an appointment to when they actually see the healthcare provider. In some instances, it may be very short, depending if it's a primary care visit or perhaps a lower acuity thing. If it's a specialty uh, service, that could be a longer time frame. So during the activation phase, what we really want to do is we want to remain engaged with them. So often we'll, they've requested the appointment, we want to engage with them message, help them to find their way. So whether it's parking or wayfinding, appointment reminders, the kind of uh, pre-appointment checklist, everything to help them feel prepared uh, as they go to uh, encounter the physician that they'll be working with.
0: That phase right there, the activation phase, is, is an area that I think is really important. And you mentioned, we'll get into this a little bit later about the different acuity levels, but that, that phase could be, like you said, very short or very long, and it becomes very important to stay uh, engaged with them because I think that you know from a lot of health systems, they have a, a high no-show rate. And that could be in part that we're not keeping them activated.
3: Absolutely. And no-show rates, obviously, they vary depending upon the specialty and, and the type of visit. But the, if you think about it, I mean, between the time that could pass, patients are often fearful about what the next step is. So the make the easier we can make their journey to the healthcare facility and to visit that physician so that they can enter, engage with them uh, more effectively, is, is really helpful. So activation is an often overlooked part of the patient engagement journey in the flywheel.
0: And then it leads to uh, that appointment, right? That when the patient actually shows up for that treatment. And uh, tell us about that phase.
3: We call that the encounter phase. So it could be with the healthcare provider, whether it's a physician or a nurse practitioner or whatnot. So as part of that, this is essentially where they have uh, the experience of their care. So this is where they initially become a patient and start to retrieve receive either diagnosis or treatment through that path. So this is kind of the most tied into the clinical part. Often that they may integrate the EMR into this with patient or a patient care portal. These could be kind of post-care instructions after they're coming out of the visit, or maybe into a referral tree of a, a specialist that they should see next or the, or the next kind of uh, clinician that's part of that treatment path. Often they're interacting uh, through a mobile app that may be linking to the EMR or to patient uh, information provided by that provider.
0: When we look at this phase, right, the encounter phase, I think a lot of times as marketers. We don't think about that. We, we kind of hand that over to the clinical side to kind of take over. How do you see organizations working uh, marketing organizations working to help uh, supplement this part of the, the journey?
3: Yeah, Chris, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, if you think mostly as marketers, we think acquisition to get people in the doors or to get actually not even get the doors, get them scheduled. So we often skip activation encounter. So I think as part of this, it's really helping the patient understand what that encounter is going to be like, where activation is the bridge to the facility or to that provider, information and marketing around the encounter. And then what's next in terms of what they're going to have to do post-encounter. It's often unclear in the world of referring physicians and different um, physician networks and whatnot, what's going to happen, who, where you're going next, what to expect when you get there. And I think our job as marketers is to educate the patient around the process, what information they can get from their EMR as part of this, and really help them understand what their interaction with the healthcare system is going to look like.
0: You know, and even that, that connection between maybe it's a primary care physician that refers to a specialist, even that segment, it kind of goes back in the flywheel for another activation phase too, right? Is that kind of how you see it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if there's a multiple encounter uh, or multiple steps treatment or multi-steps along the provider pathway, yeah, you, you could get reset into that. That's why we like to think of it, as we talked about, as a, a spinning wheel. And you actually may be in a couple of different flywheels. You may be a caregiver for a loved one where you're helping them through their engagement, or you may be, if you have a chronic condition as well as a, a specific condition, you may be both a diabetic or having a specific need for uh, a specialty care. So it's a, it's an interesting way to look at it, but you're right. You're right on in terms of they could wheel spin around the wheel back to activation for the next uh, encounter that you're going to have.
0: Well, let's move forward. So we cover all the the pieces of the wheel here because after encounter, you have another segment called follow-up. Tell us about that one.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's much like it sounds following up from the encounter. Now, what I find is interesting in the healthcare. It's one of the few industries that we don't thank our patients, right? I think that's a big miss that we have. We, uh, if you think about everyone else that you, whether you go to a hotel or to, out to eat or purchase a product. Almost everyone thanks you afterwards, right? And I think what's missing there is a post-appointment thank you, maybe the survey or the physician ratings. I know that you had some podcasts on that topic as well. It's a great point when people are coming out of an encounter to follow up, to thank them for coming, uh, help them understand what's next, help them understand what access options may be there. Because obviously in the world of telehealth, you may be able to do your follow-up visit in a virtual way or you may have to come back physically. So the goal here is really to, that the, the treatment's coming on the end of it. We're messaging around if there's a rehabilitation aspects or well care, wellness in general. Obviously, as a health system, we always want our patients to be well so we can be moving them into talking about how to keep well and some of the aspects around that.
0: You mentioned philanthropic outreach is a good opportunity here, too. Again, another, another area of uh, in working in larger health systems that we often, as marketers, don't align with. But that's a really good uh, good opportunity as well to get them more further engaged with your brand.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's a missed opportunity. I mean, typically, philanthropy or development, what they may call it different in different providers, um, they're not always well integrated into the overall marketing and the clinical pathways, but I think it's a missed opportunity, Chris, right? So if you're coming out and you've went through your encounter and you've had an excellent clinical experience and you're feeling good about your patient experience, why not offer them and let them know about what's going on in the philanthropic community uh, around that health system?
0: Absolutely. And the other thing about this follow-up phase, too, you talked about physician ratings. An important or a strong physician rating actually can influence others, other potential patients entering in the acquisition phase or the the selection phase, right, where they're actually starting to, to make decisions. And so that's an important tie to building up the tools around your flywheel, right, or the tactics around your flywheel.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's all interrelated, and thus I know I know we're doing audio here, but uh, seeing the seeing the visual of the spinning flywheel and the interrelated. But th- your point's right on target, right? Each of those activities reinforces the next. That's why it's not like a gated from a perspective of a funnel. You're not just kind of falling through and stopping at each at each level. You're continuously kind of going through that and hopefully gaining momentum by positive experiences, as you alluded to. Okay, so
0: follow up. That's it, right? Then we're done, right? That's the whole flywheel, or
3: I don't think so, right? So once we follow up with the patient, we probably want to nurture them for when they're going to need their next set of care. So we call the the final phase uh, from our discussion point is nurture, right? So the idea here is to remain engaged. Uh, we've spent a lot of time and, and effort and resources and money with these patients, and we've gotten them into our healthcare network. But it wouldn't it be great if we kept them? I think what's often missed here is once as opposed to things about thinking of everything so episodically, is to think about how do we remain engaged? And this could be around things, wellness, it could be a service line, maybe a newsletter that you put them in. So if they were in for a cardiovascular issue or a digestive disease, you could, could help them kind of understand more about what's happening in that space. Uh, preventative care. And also, once again, access options, right? Because a lot of times most healthcare systems are really Messaging now strongly about the different, way, different locations, different types of acuity, whether it's ERs or urgent cares or virtual visits to make sure that people are getting to kind of the right place for their care that's optimized from a cost and also from a timeliness and clinical perspective for the patients. So this is a, a key area to remain engaged.
0: Yeah, so nurturing here can take a, a number of different forms and, and I, I also agree, right? Nurturing is something that other organizations other brands do very well you know, I'm an Apple guy, right? I have a Mac and I have an, an, an uh, iPhone and I get emails from Apple all the time you know, trying to get me to engage further with their products, learn more about their new announcements. I think that's a really uh, a good opportunity for us as marketers to really re-engage with that. But, you know When I think about it, though, in in healthcare and hospitals, getting engaged in all the aspects of that flywheel can be a little bit challenging. When you work with your your hospital clients, what are some ways that you help them start to navigate and start to think about marketing across that entire flywheel?
3: That's a great question. And it's daunting to think about how do I start at all uh, five of these different aspects at once. So often we start at an area – typically we start an acquisition because most health systems are interested, highly interested in driving patient volumes and specifically new patients in specific areas. So we usually pick a couple of the areas that we feel like the the health system has the greatest level of opportunity in, or maybe they're not performing as well as they could be in those and they want to address some issues. So we'll usually pick a few spots of the flywheel and we'll start there. But As part of that, we don't wanna be too myopic and just focus. We wanna make sure we build a customer journey. So typically we'll be mapping out the entire journey, but focus our efforts from a resource and budget perspective on a couple of the pieces first, show the value in that, show the return and the measurement, kind of our data-driven physicist world here, right? the measurement and the process through that, and as they get more buy-in from the clinical leaders as well as the business side leaders, um, then we continue to drive and show them that we've got a roadmap for how we want to engage with the patients.
0: I imagine that many of these conversations probably involve people across the table from the marketer that maybe really haven't had those in-depth discussions before, like operational people and clinical people, to really talk about how can we optimize every segment of this flywheel. Do you find that to be true?
3: I do. I do. And what's interesting is the, those folks who may be disconnected from a marketing perspective, they almost always have a great grasp of the patient and what that person is going through. So I've, I've seen one of the things I love about health is the empathetic nature of it. And everyone wants to do well and do good for these patients. And so as part of that, when we're talking to people who have traditionally been in segments of it, whether it's long activation or the encounter, when you, when you explain to them the model of what we're trying to do and, and address the whole patient through the life cycle they readily get it right they see uh, only a slice of that patient for the time that they're in front of them whether it's physically or virtually so we found great adoption from those other areas simply because they see the whole person but they often only treat part of the patient We've, we've seen great success there.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And that really, you know, advances how healthcare marketers can really become the advocates and the voice of the customers, so to speak, throughout every segment of that journey. That's really kind of the, the ideal state that we want to be as marketers. It's, it's something we've been talking about a lot. Do you find that to be like something that's easy to adopt to? Or does it take a while?
3: To me, it's more of a mindset shift, right? So I I view marketing is one of the greatest places to be in the business world today because I believe as marketers, we have a, a few very unique perspectives. One, I think we understand the prospects, the prospective patient in this case, pretty well. We also understand the patient from a more holistic view. So organizationally, I think we have an opportunity to lead and to look at that overall inpatient experience and patient engagement um, that cuts across our operational areas. So I think that's a real opportunity for us. I think... Marketers are being pulled into a lot of areas in healthcare today that we traditionally haven't been. Uh, the voice of the customer, which is very traditional, so we say, in a business-to-business context, is being applied here and being the voice of the customer for that. So, But we've also been pulled into things like patient access to how do we better communicate in, and interact with that, philanthropy, even employee communications in the HR side of things as we help with the physician or clinician recruitment processes. So I think as marketers, if we open our minds up, Take that more holistic view. And then when we're engaging with the clinic, clinical, our clinical um, partners or other areas of the operations and just kind of show them what that journey looks like, I think we typically see pretty quick adoption.
0: But I think also as marketers, we are always hard on ourselves, right? We think that we're probably not as advanced as we are. And I want to kind of pivot a little bit to talking a little bit uh, to talk about what you refer to as the marketing maturity curve.
3: One of the things that we get asked consistently from our customers is, and and I alluded you alluded to it well, that everyone thinks they're farther behind than they are. Um, is some measurement of where are they, right? So. They know that they do certain specific tactics or they have specific approaches, but everyone um, in healthcare, given it's often lean organizations, um, there's typically not a ton of time and a ton of budget, so people are really heads down trying to do as much work for the cause as they can. Uh, They don't always have a time to kind of pull their head up, look around, talk to other people uh, in other healthcare systems or other places either around the world or in even different departments that much. So the marketing maturity curve, we built that out as a way to help our clients kind of understand where they were from the development of their overall marketing strategy and team. And we found that uh, it's a four segment, uh, a four segment curve, and we probably don't have time to talk about it today, uh, perhaps in a future time, but it helps folks kind of, we, we've mapped it out to key activities and processes that the marketers should have. And we, we put them into those four phases. And so if people can then look and measure where they are, often they're a little farther than they think they are, not quite as far behind, but also from a budgeting and planning perspective, look at the activities or the key programs that they may want to put in place, and they can use it as a planning model for future development.
0: You know, when you look forward at how marketers can start to embrace the entire customer journey, what are some of the trends that you see that, that might impact how we as marketers can be more influential across the entire journey?
3: I think there's a, a few things there. One, I think uh, that to modernize and uh, to improve as marketers, one, we have to become more and more data-driven. So we don't want to be slaves to the data, uh, but we certainly have more data available to us than, than ever before. And so the ability to look at that and make reasonable decisions on where we allocate our time, resources, and how we connect with the patients, I think is really important. We, I've also found in our work, um, being data-driven dri- helps us a lot with the clinical folks because they live in a data-driven world. Um, physicians are making diagnosis, diagnosis. is based off of diagnostic tests and data and numbers. So being able to, to spell out that business case with them based on the data is really important. We need to embrace consumerism. I know that that's uh, maybe a little bit of a dirty word, right? So sometimes in healthcare, people don't love the idea of becoming more consumer oriented. They like the idea of being more patient centered. Uh, but sometimes when you say consumerism, uh, it makes them feel like that's not, it goes off the mission of healthcare. But really to me, consumerism means that patients have choices. We're treating them with the dignity of that choice. Uh, we're meeting them where they want to be met. So whether that's in a local clinic or whether that's in a virtual visit, so we can meet them where they are, which is really important. And just making life easier. Online scheduling, for instance, is something that almost all other industries have based off of uh, how you would interact with them. But in healthcare, some organizations may not even have it. Some do. Maybe they only have some of it have for specific specialties or primary care, right? So there's a lot of benefits to, to embracing that consumerism. The final point is really around what I call conversations, right? If we're going to engage with people, the best way you and I can engage, for instance, is to have a conversation. So our marketing has to be conversational, and really that's feeding the right kind of personalized content targeted towards our patients to help them interact with us and understand who we are as a healthcare system and what they need and help them better understand how to get well and stay well.
0: Yeah, and in a language that they actually understand and not using those big clinical terms, right?
3: Right, right, exactly. I I think uh, even though we have our TLAs, our three-letter acronyms in marketing that we love so much, uh, the clinicians have us beat, right? So almost everything's an acronym and making it simple and understanding and and easy to understand as we can. Some of the concepts are very difficult and challenging. um, And sometimes I think, though, the, the words we use perhaps can scare our patients as much as the actual meaning of them. So I think I think you're right on the target there in, in being conversational with them, in using words that they understand, providing the context to help educate where we need to.
0: I love it. Data-driven, conversational. I mean, this is spoken like a true mathematician, one mathematician to another. We love it. Um, that's great stuff. Tom, this has been great information. we definitely have to have you on for another conversation about uh, some other elements that you brought up. I, I took a little note here of some other topics that we could talk in the future. But um, you know, people listening in, they may want to learn a little bit more about you and your organization. Can you share with them uh, how they can reach out to you online?
3: Sure. Uh, the first place to find us is uh, heilmangroup.com. So from there, we have links to our different social platforms uh, that they can connect with us and to, uh, to get involved and see the, kind of the content and the information that we're putting out there. If people would like to reach out to me directly, email is probably the best. Tom at heilmangroup.com is a great way to meet me uh, online or from a digital perspective. Uh, And then finally, I'll be speaking at the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit in Chicago in May. So if anyone wanted to meet in person, love to have a conversation Would certainly enjoy catching up with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to meet there and have a beer together. Uh, I'll be speaking there as well. Our conversations virtually are going to go into real life, just like digital transforms into real life. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Well, Tom, thank you so much for all this uh, information, all your your ideas. We really appreciate it. Thanks for being part of the show.
3: Chris, thank you for having me. Take care.
2: At Healthgrades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships, improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com.
0: All right. Well, that was a really good interview by uh, with Tom. We have a link in the show notes read to uh, his healthcare flywheel. And so I encourage people, if they want to learn a little bit more about that, just go out there and you can download it. It's right off of his website.
1: Very, very nice. Well, very cool. Let's talk for just one second about upcoming events, shows, places you can connect with us in person, I guess. And so the next one on the calendar is, remind me the dates in May, it's May 21st through the 23rd. 21st through the 23rd in the uh, Windy City, right? That's right. In the Windy City of Chicago, we're
0: talking, of course, about the 24th Annual Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit, which um, we will be there in force. I'll be speaking, Reed. I'll be doing a presentation with someone uh, from Multicare about the role of the digital strategist. And then we're going to be recording podcast and other audio. So if you're going to be there, make sure to come find us.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very cool. And um, I know there's a, a few other things on the horizon, specifically in the fall. Some more to come on that. Uh, if you haven't already, be sure to check out touchpoint.health and, and uh, check out all the shows there. And we appreciate those show hosts and all the great content coming out of there. I do want to call attention to one that I think is Man, it's just such a good interview. But the most recent, I guess, recent. It's a two-parter, and it's uh, the most recent two episodes that uh, our our good friend and co-host Bobby Ratu has done over on Intersection Forty One and Forty Two are the episode numbers. But it's a pediatrician, mom, and a son's mental health, and so it's this uh, pediatrician you know, struggling with you know what she identified in one of her children. And how even though she's a doctor and still working within the healthcare system. Anyway, it's just a fascinating interview and story. I'd certainly recommend. But anyway, part one and part two for that. So be sure to go check that out. Uh, rate, review, subscribe uh, over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And uh, before we get out of here, maybe a couple of recommendations. Reed, um, you might think I'm crazy,
0: but I'm, I think I'm going to recommend a Microsoft product today Ooh, in our podcast. Are they still in business? Yes. Okay. So uh, hold tight, <laughs> hear me out, <laughs> hear me out. So um, we're, as many health hospitals and health systems are, right? We're, we have a, a PC shop, a PC operations at work, and we're rolling out some of the new Microsoft modern Office tools like Office 365 and those sorts of things. One of the tools that was recently rolled out, and we've been using within our organization for quite a while, is something called Teams, Microsoft Teams. For those of you who may not have ever used Teams before, think of it as like Slack. It's really, a, it's very much like Slack. It's a Microsoft product though, and it's embedded natively with Office 365. So not only can you use it like Slack where you instant message, collaborate, uh, you could share GIFs and do all those other fun things too, but then you can actually real time edit, and work on Microsoft documents like Word, Excel, etc. And by the way, it has a really good app that can go to your phone. I have it on my iPhone. It's free, and I can access Teams from it, and so I can collaborate on the go. And I happen to work on a Mac while I'm at, in the office, and working on the Mac to the PC Teams has never been an issue with it. Nice. So
1: I am going to recommend Microsoft Teams. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> I am actually going to recommend a book that I think is uh it's a really interesting. It's a good read. It's a guy named uh, Andy Stanley. He's a pastor over in the Atlanta area, but anyway, writes a lot of books. And one of his, um, I don't actually, I don't know when this was written to be perfectly honest. It was recommended to me uh, just a couple of months ago, quite honestly, but it looks like it was originally 1999 and then was updated in 2016. But it's called Visioneering, A Guide for Discovering and Maintaining Personal Vision. Each uh, chapter kind of has some working notes at the end, some questions to answer, that kind of thing. And It really helps you kind of define your personal vision, much like you would for an organization or something like that. And chapter 11 is, is titled uh, Warding Off Criticism, and it starts... Uh, if you didn't know already, you'll soon discover that visions are easy to criticize, visions attract criticism, visions are difficult to defend against criticism, and visions often die in the mm-hmm. hands of critics. And so anyway, there, there's just some really interesting and kind of poignant stuff in here that will help you kind of think through your life and, and kind of the vision for your life and uh, everything from distractions to critics and everything else. So anyway, it's a good book. It's called Visioneering, written by uh, Andy Stanley. So revised and check that out yeah so there you go awesome awesome very good Uh, another good episode in the books number 117 again thanks for all the support thanks for uh, all the friendly faces that we see out in the uh, twitter sphere and uh, over on linkedin be sure to subscribe to the tps report the weekly email if you have not already and uh, visit us over on touchpoint.health let us know how we're doing Smart people out there we should talk to, topics we should talk about. We'd love to hear it. So uh, for another week, for Chris Boyer, I am Reed Smith, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.